But I think as Christians, we should definitively have a biblical worldview. What does the Lord tell us? What does Jesus say about the end of the age? And, and so we're going to again look at that today, specifically our response. Our response. And so we're going to look at the Word of God as we contemplate the end of the age. Last week we talked about what Jesus said would be happening at the end of the age. Um, he gave us a very specific thing. We also looked at some passages um, that, that Paul wrote, Thessalonians, what Peter had to say, things to pay attention to. Um, they do line up with what Jesus said. In a lot of ways, they echo what he said, but if you hear these words of being watchful, being sober, being mindful, don't live in fear. Because if we are, if we're not careful, fear can rule the day. I mean, there's plenty of things out there if you watch the news. And you guys, you got to realize, sometimes you need to turn the news off, amen? Because I'm not saying don't watch it. I'm saying they are doing what they do. You know why they do what they do? Ratings and money. And so they stir up this, they get kind of in a fever pitch, and, and, and so they really, you know, really will show things in, 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 a, in a light that maybe we don't see because they're, they're trying to kind of sensationalize certain things. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying to always not news. It's important to watch and be mindful. But if we're not careful, we watch and we get sucked into, um, you know, the way they want us to get sucked. You know, we're watching it all the time, and our emotions are rising and falling by what they say. It's just very important for us to keep our eyes on the Lord. Uh, Jesus had a lot to say about things. So you hear those words, if you watchful, sober, mindful, don't live in fear, recognize what's happening and might be happening. And so we talked about, are we in the end times right now? Ultimately, I don't know. We, we, we discussed last week, there were times in history where the church specifically thought that we were in the end of the age. Um, Somewhat recently, in the World War II, we talked a little bit about this last week, where Hitler was, you know, he went into power very quickly. Um, you, know, you know, six million Jews dying. And it seems, it seems like, especially from the church, because it seems like, man, we have a right there that Jesus is going to return at any second. And ultimately, that time came and went. So I don't know. There are a lot of things happening in the world that give us an indication that we are getting closer and closer. So, but we don't know. However, there are things, there are signs that we should pay attention to to point us to getting closer. Um, we could be really close. There could be some things that happen that, that would that would thrust us very near to the end of the age, or we could still be some time off. And then here's what we do know, and I have put this passage up there last week, go ahead, Taylor. Um, everything that can be taken, will be taken. There's a key passage. This is what we do know. This is a guarantee. This is a promise from Scripture. When God spoke to Mount Sinai, His voice to the earth, but now He makes another promise. So God has made a promise. We're reading about it in Hebrews. He said, once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. So what is God saying? I promise you. It's like God standing before us saying, I promise you I'm going to shake everything. But now... There is a purpose with the shaking, and we're going to look a lot, a lot more in detail about that today. But he says, I'm going to shake everything. This means that all creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. That's the point and the purpose that God will shake everything. Not just because he is, you know, some angry 
dictator up there, but he's shaking things so that unshakable things will remain. And what are the unshakable things? Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. That's part of our response. That's part of what we're going to talk about today. It's our response. We should worship him with holy fear and awe. And so he says, things are going to be shaking. We're going to see more and more shaking. Now, our response should be that we should hold on to the thing that is unshakable. That is the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ, the king of that kingdom. That should be our ultimate response. Matthew 24, 25. Remember when Jesus, the last week, he told us about these things, the shakings that would come. He says in there, see, I have told you ahead of time. And so we have this promise from Scripture that God's going to shake everything. Jesus said, listen, I have told you ahead of time so that you are aware, so that you understand, pay attention. I have told you ahead of time. So he's given us an indication that he has spoken about. What did Jesus say? He, he mentioned specifically there will be wars, rumors of wars. Remember the disciples said, what will be the signs of the end of the age? The wars, rumors of wars, famine, pestilences, earthquakes. He mentions just general troubles. And so there's an overarching thing, troubles, that means natural disasters, um, terrorist threats. And so you can see these troubles that are happening on the earth. And so Jesus gives some specific things, and then he gives, again, overarching troubles, saying these things would be like birth pains. And we talked a little bit about that. that you know, when, when a woman is about to have the, a child, uh, the birth pains get closer and more intense. And so Jesus said, the, you know, as, as things progress towards the end of the age, you know, what is the absolute end of the age? We don't know, but we're progressing there. We're closer today than we were last week. We know that. But Jesus said that these things would be, they would get closer and closer, they would get more and more intense. And so be mindful. And worship God. Keep your eyes on the kingdom of God. And so we're also warned, Jesus warned, Paul warned, Peter warned about one of the major things that's going to happen on the earth during as we move progressively closer is there's going to be great deception that's going to be a delusion on the earth to deceive people with signs, wonders, miracles, pointing people to um, to false gods and false Christ. And he said, be on your guard because deception will abound. And so again, we're told these things to, uh, to help us and help us not to veer away from the truth. And so as we move into today's message, it's important to remember Jesus' words again. He has told you ahead of time so he doesn't want us to be caught off guard we're unprepared, so he tells us to be watchful and ready. In fact, I love Mark chapter 13, if you follow the discourse, the parallel passage of Matthew 24, the last word of Mark, Mark 13 is watch. Isn't that a, a good word? Watch, be ready. Again, don't live in fear, don't constantly look over your don't live in terror, don't have the wrong response, but watch. Keep your eyes on the Lord. So our response to the end of the age, or let me put it this way, last week I talked about this. We need to have the right response at the the end of the age or the end of your age, my age, because either the end of the age is coming or the end of our age is coming. We will either see the Lord return or we will die. That is a guarantee. Remember, that's how I told you that there's a guarantee at the end of the sermon. I didn't tell you when the end of the age. I'm just saying, either he's going to return or you, you and I are going to die. 
And that's a reality. We are going to stand before God and give an account. And so, we, so being ready for whatever is so important. And the question is, are you ready? Are you ready to meet Jesus? Are you ready to stand before the Savior, whether at the end of the age or the end of your age? So either way, we will see. We will, we will either see things unfold, we will walk through what the Bible has told us is going to happen, or we will die and stand before Christ. So, are you ready? So let's jump into Scripture today, Second Peter three, one through eleven. We're going to kind of just break this down a little bit. So Peter writes, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I did actually touch in on this passage. We're going to look a little more in depth in this passage today. If you have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to hold some thinking, right thinking, I want you to recall the words spoken in the past for the Holy Prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your prophets. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. Stopping and following their own evil desires, they will say, Where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Over the next slide, and um, we'll pick that up. But listen to what the scoffers say. Where is this coming? And so it's, it's arguable with, with Paul uh, when you look at some of the passages from, with Paul paralleling that. People are going to be scoffing in the last thing, so where is the coming? Jesus hasn't returned yet, and we're going through all this stuff. And so, be ready for whatever. Is Jesus going to return and take the church up before everything goes bad, or will it go bad and then Jesus will come? Are you ready for whatever? That's the question. Are you ready for whatever? Peter goes on, but they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens came into being, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world, the world of that time was deluded and, and, and deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. I love that. God is like saying, my time frame is not your time frame. Um, I don't do things uh, yeah, I don't do things the way you think they should be done. Um, and, and, and so a thousand years are like a day to the Lord. Verse 9. So let's go to the next one. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. It is so important for us to remember. As some understand slowness, and that he is patient not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. And here's the key consistency. Everything will be destroyed in this way. What kind of people ought we to be? So he says, so since we have been told what is going to happen, what kind of lives should we be living? That's the question. That's our response to either the end of the age or the end of our age. Since these things are going to happen, since there's going to be major shaking, since there's going to be lots of trouble, Jesus promises, what kind of lives should you be living? Or, again, you can step aside from that and say, since we are going to stand before the Lord, since we are going to die, unless He returns and takes us, we're all going to face death. 
And since we have that reality, what kind of lives should we be living? Because we're not, we're not promised tomorrow. As we all know, I mean, in different ways, I mean, you know, some of you guys have walked through this way closer than I have, but we, you know, we've seen how people have, have loved ones and friends, and, and one moment they are alive and one moment they are not. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. And so, it, again, this is not fatalistic, this is not to scare you, but it's saying, what kind of lives should you live? Peter goes on to say, and I don't have it up there, he said, you ought to live holy and godly lives. You ought to live holy and godly lives. So he answers his own question. So for the next few minutes, I want to talk about what kind of lives we should be living in the day and the age that we live in. How to live a holy and godly life. How to live ready and prepared. How to live watchful yet not afraid. So we're going to tackle that. First of all, the practical, the physical preparation. There's, there, there is some mindset in the, in the physical realm, things that, that we should be thinking of. There are obviously a lot of things going on in our world right now. There are threats of diseases. And again, this is not to watch the news and get fear. Um, you know, Jesus said there would be pestilences on the earth. There are, could be those things that are happening, but there's threats of diseases, there's threats of terrorism, and there's economic struggles like never before. We're seeing a time, uh, you know, even in the last, um, I, I was reading some stats the other day, in the last 15 to 20 years, we've seen natural disasters at an unprecedented level. Remember, hurricanes getting more intense and closer together. Those are just things that are happening. So whether these things are legitimate potentials of affecting us, we don't know. However, I believe that we should use some practical and and wisdom. And so just for a few minutes, we should give you some of the, There are a lot of voices out there in the secular world and also the spiritual world. They're talking about physical and practical preparedness in case something were to happen. There are some that have the fear response. You ever watch those Doomsday people? You know, some of them is like, that seems pretty cool. Some of them are like, whoa, you know, um, that's kind of intense. One guy has built a $450,000 underground apartment bunker for his family. Just in case. You're thinking, all right, um, whatever you need to do, but that seems excessive, but I don't know. Um, he's going to crawl down there, something happens, and wait till the blows over. And so there's some fearful response, but there's others that have some practical wisdom. Here's a few highly recommended suggestions. Um, again, these are just being watchful. Uh, it can be somewhat spiritual and practical at the same time. But slowly build up about a month worth of food and water in your house. It's not a bad idea. Again, not hoarding, but using wisdom. But slowly, if somebody goes, might even be doing that. Uh, we're, we're doing some of that. Um, Keep some cash on hand in a safe place in your home in case banks kind of falter in your day. Clothes in the banks. Um, here's another one. Take care of yourself physically. And that's just the body stewardship. Take care of your body. Um, just in case, remember what Jesus says. Um, he said, today that it's not in a time of, uh, you know, distress or you think about people running into the hills and Jesus said, there'll be some of that or He said, he said, oh, you know, pray also that you don't have to take flight during the winter. And I'm thinking in Minnesota, that's a good word for that. 
And so, taking care of yourself. Um, if you haven't been, just start, start taking care of yourself. Have a contingency plan for your family. Meeting place. Schools do it, and they do fire drills, they do tornado um, drills, they do all these kinds of things. It's just contingency to be ready no matter what happens. It's not wrong to just be mindful of these things to be ready. In Minnesota, have cold weather plans. Alternative heat or warmth plans, extra blankets, whatever that might be. And so, in other words, have a practical game plan for whatever might happen. It might not be the end of the age. It could just be a massive snowstorm. Some of you guys have lived there. I mean, some of you guys, Halloween 91, wasn't it? Halloween, who was here for that? Me not being included, I wasn't here. But I've heard people still talk about that. I've seen pictures of it where, you know, these big, gigantic, you know, there's one, 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 one picture I saw was this big, big, like, front-end pusher, all the technical terms. And I'm thinking, where is this? And they said, this is a major highway in Minnesota. And I said, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, that really happened. And it, and it really sucks down everything. I'm like, Cleveland, Tennessee, where it's the threat of snow and everybody rushes and buys all of that and milk that they can get their hands on. You know, like, people, it'll be gone in three days. I mean, the worst of snowstorms, it's not going to be here, you know, forever. But anyway, those are just kind of some things, some practical thoughts to work through. But now I want to deal with the most important, and that's spiritual preparation. Again, whether we see the end times events, whether we see the end of the age come upon us in full, or we simply see the end of our time coming, we should live prepared for whatever is ahead. So how do we live ready for what is ahead? Um, and the question is, are you ready for eternity? That's what Peter says. What kind of lives should we live? What kind of lives should we live? Number one is this, let's surrender to Jesus. That's the end. We should live holy and godly lives. Live surrender to Jesus. Do you live for Christ? Have you completely surrendered your life to Him? Do you live for Him every day, loving Him, worshiping Him, repenting to Him when you blow Him? Because that's a part of walking with Him. It's not that we don't fall. It's when we fall, we look to Him and we say, God, forgive me. And he takes us and he walks with us. I just want to encourage you today, what, 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 wherever you're at in life, wherever your spiritual journey, if you haven't surrendered to Christ, don't wait another minute. Jesus said, Today is the day of salvation. I'm thinking of that passage where, remember, Jesus gave this parable about this, which guy said, I'm going to store up all my grain for myself. I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to have bigger stuff. I'm going to store all the stuff for me, for later, for me. And Jesus said, you, He said this because you fools do not realize that your life will be required of you tomorrow. And so, where are those bigger barns and bigger, you know, all that stuff going to give you? Are you ready? Have you put your hope and your trust that you have in the way another moment? And, and so it's, it's the simple gospel message is that's putting our hope, our trust, our confidence, our ultimately our very lives into His love, trusting that His sacrifice was sufficient for me, that He died on the cross for me. It's turning away from me living the way I think I should live and committing my life to Him and for Him for the rest of my life. 
And so walking with him against the ring of our lives, walking with him is the greatest way to stay away from the fear of what is to come. That we don't have to face eternity in fear. That's what a lot of people think about it. And Paul says in Romans that everyone has an internal gauge that kind of says, there's something bigger than myself. Now some people hear, and Paul says that some people suppress the truth. I don't want to talk about it. No, I'm an atheist. Well, you know what atheist is? It's just saying to suppress the obvious truth because if I don't think, if I don't, if I don't have to think about it, I don't have to worry about it. But there's something inside every person on planet Earth that says, there's something there. There's something out there. And when we get to the end and we don't have to fearfully wonder and fearfully go and say, what's ahead? And, oh no, what's going to happen? We can just say, put a living for you and we can live in confident hope. Again, not that there's not a, a level of fear of the unknown. I mean, when we, when we die from, when we pass from this life to the next, there's always going to be a level of what, you know, the, the unknown, I haven't seen it, and I don't know, and it's, just, it's faith in God, and it's faith in what Jesus said. But I guarantee you, living surrendered to Him, you don't have to face it with fear. Number two is this. Let's go to the next one. Live a life of faithful endurance for Jesus. Endurance. Here's what Jesus said in reference to the end of the age. Because he says there's going to be deception, there's going to be people that are going to be deceived, and it's possible even the elect of God are going to be deceived. That's a lot of deception. But then he says this in Matthew 24, 13, but those, the one who endures will stand firm to the end will be saved. Those who endure. And then Hebrews 12, 2 is one of my favorite passage of a life verse for me to run the race of endurance, keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus. What is he talking about here? He's talking about finishing well. Faithful endurance with Jesus. Endurance happens when you've been training daily. For some reason, man, on Facebook, or of late, there's been a lot of people running like long distance races. We have these cousin that just ran the whole uh, Ironman, people running half marathons, and, and I'm like, there's a lot of people doing that, man. And, 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 and those races, those long distance races, and if you're a runner here, I, I just applaud you greatly. I, I, I run a little bit. I'm not a runner, I run. Some people would even probably question that if they saw me. Um, I move from point A to point B. Let's just put it that way. Um, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a gifted runner. I do it to stay in shape a little bit, but. Long distance runners will tell you, you, you don't just wake up one day deciding, I think I'll run a marathon today. 26.2 miles. Just, just, just get out there and go. If you can do that, you are super, superhuman. But there's a, there's a training, and the training, what the training does is building their muscle to, to run a race of endurance. And that's why they keep these 12 to run the race of endurance. It's, it's not fun. The life of faith, the life of Christ, is a long distance run. It's a lifetime. And you're always training. And that's why those, when, when you get there, a training regimen is, you know, you're running certain distances to get you ready that your muscles, your lungs, everything's ready to run this race with endurance. Because 
There are going to be obstacles. There are going to be times on, at, during the race you're going to feel like quitting. There's going to be time in the race where your knees are hurting and the things that everything in you is saying stop. And it's, it would be so easy to just stop and, and just walk right now. And that's the picture that we have here is he who endures to the end will be saved. And endurance is not, again, it's not a, a great thing that we'll have to talk about in faith. We'll have to talk about all the great benefits that we have in the Lord. And those are wonderful. He offers a good gift to his children. But living a life of faithful endurance is how we can finish well. That's what ultimately what God wants. He wants us to finish well. With our eyes fixed on Jesus. And that's why the author of Hebrews says, Run the race of endurance. Keep your eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus. The author and perfecter of our faith. It's a spiritual preparedness with a life of faithful endurance for Jesus. Because there's going to be trials, there's going to be troubles, there's going to be times, again, where Jesus promises whether there's troubles in this life with uh, the end of the age where birth pains are getting, or you could just have your own troubles and trials. And a lot of times people go through those things and it's, it's easy to quit. Remember when Jesus was giving the parable of the sower? He said, the seed goes out. And sometimes the seed would go in and it quickly springs up and there's life and there's joy. I love Jesus with all my heart. And he says, but then what happens is the persecution comes or troubles come or things happen. And he said, the enemy then kills the life there. And what, what, what he's saying, what Jesus is saying is, what did you sign up for? And we've seen, I've seen people where they, again, it brings to life and they're really excited and yes, and I'll love God with all my days and then certain things happen, trials come. And that's why you get the one where, where it goes deep, the, the, the one seed that goes deep and it produces 30, 60, 100 fold. It produces fruit, and, but it's the seed that goes deep. And I'll be walking in a level of death saying, Lord, I want to love you all my days. In the good days, I want to love you. In the hard days, I want to love you. I want to fix my eyes on you. So that's number two. Live, live, surrender to Jesus. Live a life of faith. And don't see Jesus. Don't think it means to do. Live in the light of eternity. There's ways to be prepared for the end of the age or the end of your age. Live in the light of eternity. Colossians 3, what's false says, since you've been raised to the life of Christ, Set your sights on the realities of heaven. What does he say? Set your sights on the reality of heaven. He said, heaven to Heaven is a reality. It's not make-believe. It's not a fantasy. It's not a story to help us feel better about ourselves. It's the reality of heaven. He said, where Christ is in honor, place of honor lies right now. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth. And that's very difficult, isn't it? Because we live here. This is our reality right now. And I think what Paul is saying is constantly remind yourself of the realities of heaven. And don't just live for the things of the earth. These things will pass away. Since for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ to God. And when Christ who is your life is revealed, the whole world you will share in all his glory. Isn't that a beautiful passage? So when it all shakes down, when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So live for the reality of heaven. We must constantly remind ourselves that this is temporary. This is temporary. 
even if we make it to 80, 85, 90, and some of us 100. Or like Donna had an aunt, I think she was like 104, 105, so I think he just forgot me. I'm ready to go. I've been ready to go. I've been waiting around here, you know, and, and but it's all temporary. This is temporary. We've got to remind ourselves of that. Eternity is reality. We will live forever. When you close your eyes and you die from this earth, you wake up into a greater reality than you've ever known, greater than the reality that we know now. So when we when we die or Christ comes back, we will live in the reality of eternity. This life is just a, a beginning. James calls it a favor or a mist. It's like a and that's it. Compared to eternity. That's it. And having this reality helps us to endure hardships and suffering. When you're going through troubles, what Jesus is trouble, when you're going through the end of age or the end of your age, whatever it might be, what helps is to say, it's not long now. I know that this is temporary. And that's how the apostles could keep their heart fixed on when they were going through so many things, but to keep their heart fixed on the Lord and say, no, it's difficult. It won't be long now. It's coming. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, what Paul says. I love this. Go to the next slide. So therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Light and momentary trouble. So we fix our eyes on what is seen. What is on, what is seen on, on 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 what? Let me read that again. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So constantly remind yourself of this. No matter what happens, when we belong to Christ, when we understand it's temporary, that's why He can say the troubles that we go through are light and momentary. And they went through some hard things. Light and momentary. So we can have eternal hope in Jesus when our lives long term. The last is this live missionally. Number four, how do we spiritual preparation live missionally? No matter what happens, we are still on mission with Jesus as the church. People that are living in peace. People still need the gospel. People need Jesus. We are still called to be the light of the world, allowing His light to shine in us and through us. We aren't called to retreat in fear, but to live in faith, pointing people to the reality of Jesus and the reality of eternity. We're still called to live on this mission. See, the apostles understood this. They were persecuted heavily. They went through all kinds of threats and trouble. And again, they, at times they felt like it was the end of the age, even that close to Jesus going back to heaven, yet they kept their eyes on the mission. They didn't say, well, man, look at what I'm going through. I didn't sign up for this. Forget this. I'm not living for you anymore. They said, this is a part of the deal, and we're going to go forward, and we're going to spread the mission of Jesus. 
the gospel of Jesus and the kingdom of God. Let's look at that quickly before. Another one of the realities. Let's go back one. Sorry about that. Yeah, there you go. Let's start that one. We now have this light shining in our hearts. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing the state treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is not from God. It is from God, not from ourselves. We are pressed from every side by trouble. Now listen to Paul recognizing the reality of what's going on. We're pressed from every side by trouble, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but never abandoned by God. Now, isn't that an interesting perspective? Like, if you're hunted down, wouldn't it feel like God has left me? And they said, the gospel there, we've not been abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. It goes along with what Stu read this morning. That he can do perfect in suffering. Even though we suffer, Jesus is seen. We're persecuted, Jesus is seen. If we go through hardship, Jesus is on display. It's not about us, it's always about Him. No matter what. Verse 11, to the next one. said, yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, this has resulted in eternal life for you. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith as Psalm said when he said, I believe in God's false hope. We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. Do you see what he's saying? It's all about lives being touched. It's all about the mission. It's all about people coming to know Christ. That we are still reminded that there is a mission that God loves people. Even 2 Peter 3 says that God would will that no man should perish, but that they would come to repentance and know Him. He loves people. And Paul is saying God loves people, so no matter what we go through, the reality is that we're going to be in heaven pretty soon. This is all temporary, even if we go through the hardest things of the earth for long periods of time when it feels like forever. And you ever ever said that? This feels like eternity when you're going through something? I've been there. But it's nothing compared to eternity. And it's always about Him. No matter what's going on, we continue on the mission, declaring Jesus, pointing people to Him, Preaching with our words and with our lives. Even when you're going through something, people can see Christ being manifested in you. That you suffer, you have your eyes on Jesus. And people are saying, What's the deal there? And then Peter even says, What's, what's the hope that's in you? And you give an answer to people. They see that you have gone through a challenge. They see you've gone through something very difficult, and you're always pointing to Christ. In Ephesians 5, let's go to the next one. Be very careful in how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So Paul says, be careful. There's that word that's watchful. Be watchful. Be mindful how you live, not as unwise, but as Making the most of every opportunity. In other words, he's saying, you still have a mission. Are you alive? You still are on mission with Christ. I don't care how old you are, you don't retire from the kingdom. 
I don't care how young you are, you're never too young to be used by God. You're on mission. You live in the kingdom. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Notice what Paul's saying. He just, there's an obvious thing with the apostles. The days are evil. Yeah, get over it. Put to Jesus. Well, what if a goal to ravages the world? Ah, uh, we're going to serve Jesus. And if I go out in a coughing rage, so be it. I'm going to serve Jesus. However it goes down, I'm going to Well, what if terrorists would do this or that? We're going to serve Jesus. Paul says, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. He said, yep, the days are evil. Sure they are. We're still on mission with Christ. The gospel's still alive. Jesus is still on the throne. He's still going to be victorious. That's good news. So in however many days we have, whether many or few, let's make the most of every opportunity. We live in dark times. But our response should not be fearful terror, but great faith. This is the point I shared this last week. Um, I mentioned it last week. Remember the story in Acts where Peter and John, they are beaten for their faith in Christ. I mean, beaten. And it said they come out of that beating and they're there and they begin to rejoice. To be worthy, to be beaten in the name of Christ. And you can share this suffering. And they begin to beating to them into a worship service. That's a different perspective. Not, God, thank you for all the many wonderful blessings that you've given me in this life, and I'm comfortable, and I'm rich, and I've got bigger barns, and bigger houses, and bigger boats, and bigger this, and thank you, God, you're so good, I worship you. Lord, thank you that I can worship you because I like that music, and that music is the stuff that makes my heart come alive. You are worthy. They were beaten within an inch of their lives, and they came out with their hands raised, going, Jesus, thank you. Thank you that I can suffer for you. That's him who's a worship like I've never worshipped before. God, you are good with a black baby. As long as we're alive, we're on mission with Jesus. Hebrews 9 says it's appointed once for a man to die. You know, you have an appointment. And when you belong to Jesus, there's nothing or no one that can interfere with that appointment. That's good news. When you're walking with the Lord, nobody's going to prematurely take you out. You're not going to all of a sudden die before the Lord. Maybe you got here early. What's up with that? Did you guys see that? Didn't see that coming. When you stand before the Lord, He said, It was appointed for you. And I'm here with you. I want to read something to this author named Charles Moore wrote about. Christians' response during the times of plagues in history. And it's just an excerpt for what he wrote. He did some research. But he said, instead of fear and despondency, there's just time, there's times in history where you had lots of lives being taken out because of disease. You know, one of them was the Black Plague, and we hear, we read about those in history. But he said, instead of fear and despondency, then the earliest Christians expended themselves in works of mercy that simply dumbfounded the pagans around them. For them, God loved humanity. In order to love God back, one must to love others. God did not demand literal sacrifices. He wanted his love expressed on earth in deeds of compassion. This love took on very practical, concrete forms. 
In Rome, the Christians buried not just their own, but pagans who had died without funds for proper burial. They also supplied food for 1,500 poor on a daily basis. In Antioch and Syria, the number of destitute persons being fed by the church had reached 3,000. Church funds were used in special cases to buy the emancipation of Christian slaves. During the plague in Alexandria, when nearly everyone else fled, the early Christians lived their lives for one another by simple deeds of washing the sick, offering water and food, and consoling the dying. Their care was so expensive that Julian eventually tried to copy the church's welfare system. It failed, however, because for the Christians it was law, not duty, that motivated them. The first Christians not only took care of their own, but also reached out far beyond themselves. Their faith led to a pandemic of love. Consequently, at the risk of their own lives, they saved an immense number of lives. Their elementary nursing greatly reduced mortality. Simple provisions of food and water allowed the sick that were temporarily too weak to cope for themselves to recover and set perishing miserably. Pagans could not help but notice that Christians not only found the strength for this death, but through their care for one another, they were much less likely to die. Christian survivors of the plague became immune, and therefore they were able to pass among the afflicted with seeming invulnerability. In fact, those most active in nursing the sick were the very ones who had already contracted the disease very early on, but who were also cared for by their brothers and sisters. In this way, the early Christians became, in the words of one scholar, a whole force of miracle workers to, to heal the dying. Or as historian Rodney Clark said, it was the food so patiently spoon to the helpless that healed them. In the midst of intermittent persecution and colossal misunderstanding and in the era when several mothers were thought to be demeaning, followers of the way, instead of fleeing disease and death, went about ministering to the sick and helping the poor, the widowed, the crippled, the blind, the orphan, and the aged. The people of the Roman Empire were forced to admire their works and, and dedicate them. Look how they loved one another was heard on the street. God can work in the midst of anything. When we are serving Him, when we are loving Him, even the hardest things that we might face are going to be light and momentary and temporary. In the close of this passage from Acts 20, it's one of my favorite passages also. Here's Paul. I want you to think about what he's saying here. And now compelled by the Spirit. So the Spirit led. Again, we, we like to be led by the Spirit when things are going to go well with me. Lord, I'll follow you. Spirit, I'll follow you as long as it means me not having to suffer in any way before and now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship is facing me. And God was here. Here's a word from the Lord for me. And what does Paul say? How does his response? He could say, Lord, I know I'm getting sign up for that. Is there an easier road? Is there a different path? However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim 
Jesus' goal, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Is that your mission? Is that your mission? God, I want to finish the race. I want to fix my eyes on Jesus. I want to complete the task you've given me to live. To be faithful to what you call me to be faithful to. To testify the good news of your grace. So what is your aim? How do you want to finish your race? So whether we are approaching the end of the age or not, we have a mission from God. To testify the good news of God. God loves people. There are people that desperately need Him. And He's called us as His body of believers, as the church of the Lord Jesus, to carry on His mission. He's called us, Paul called us ambassadors, and God has called us as being His ambassadors to reveal the gospel, the love of Jesus, the sacrifice of Christ to a world that still desperately needs Him. And so, as the song says, until He returns and calls me home here in the love of Christ, I'll stand. So, will you stand with me as we pray? Jesus, we love you. We honor you. We glorify you, Lord. You are worthy of our hearts. You are worthy of our love. You are worthy of our lives, Lord, whether things are peaceful or good by the world's standards or if they're very difficult. Lord, we just today want to just recommit our hearts and lives to the Lord. I pray for each person that's in this room, Lord. If you are here today and you have not completely and totally surrendered your life to Christ, as I said earlier, we don't wait another day to do that. Don't let shame or condemnation or guilt from the past dictate to you today. The love of Jesus is bigger than your past, it's bigger than your sin, his sacrifice is greater than that. And when we make that simple, move toward him, God, forgive me of my sins, I recognize I am a sinner. I recognize that I'm in desperate need of you. And I give you my life today. If you haven't done that, do it. If it's been a while since you've kind of surrendered your heart, I encourage you to do that. So, Lord, I want us to all to be ready. I want us to all to finish the race well, to run the race with faithfulness, Lord, with endurance, keeping our eyes on you. Lord, I pray that we would all be ready, no matter what is ahead. That, Lord, if there are hardships and if there's troubles ahead, Lord, that we would continually look to you and that we would consider our life worth nothing and we would make it our aim to finish the race 